Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of OneClick Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. We feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to B2B Made Simple. Joining me for the reunion tour, I have Andrew Horner. He is now the fractional CMO at a couple scaling startups. But when he was on the podcast before, on episode 141, he was with Symphony. And he spent three and a half years there, which is uh, it's a double SaaS unicorn company, uh, double unicorn SaaS company, which is pretty cool that you were a part of that for a while, Andrew. And uh, now you're kind of doing your own thing. So welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I uh, had a lot of fun last time. Let's have more fun right now. Absolutely. So the cool thing about this is obviously because you're working with you know a few different companies at the moment, being a fractional CMO, you get to implement different things with each one, figure out what's working now. And maybe one uh, company is going one direction with something and another company is going a totally different direction. So what we're going to talk about today is really like what's working in SaaS marketing right now that is kind of at the forefront of things. Um, so before we officially jump into that, I have a question for you. Um, you know, I can't remember exactly what I asked in the first episode, but we'll see if this is different. Um, if you were to take a vacation, would you rather go to on vacation to a beach where it's nice and sunny and warm or up in the mountains to a lake or something? Uh, I have lived in the mountains and in the country and by a lake for a long time. So a beach is sounding pretty good right now. <laughs> with something with an umbrella in it. Yeah. Yes. And especially just coming through the, the winter of Vermont, I'm sure a beach sounds pretty nice too, right? It does. 100%. <laughs> well, there we go, man. I think we're in the same boat. Um, well, cool. Let's jump right into this. Uh, we have like, this is a little bit unorthodox when it comes to how our podcast runs, which I like. So it's going to be a little different for the listeners. But we're just going to run through some some uh, bullet points on like what's working and then just kind of riff off them. Um, so one of the first things that you did with one of the SaaS companies you're working with is you went through a massive rebrand for the startup um, all the way down to the name, the logo, the brand manifesto, everything. So can you walk us through like what your thought process was with that just from start to finish? And by just to protect the, the innocent, right, at the moment, since some things aren't launched, I probably will not mention too many names. I'm like, if it's all right with you, I'm going to mention a couple of vendors and partners that I worked with it's that perfect. were super helpful, if that's all right. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so the first thing is branding means so many things to so many people. So the first thing is just I, I aligned with the executive team and the board of directors on what we wanted to try and achieve. And, and they said, look, we're not beholden to the existing even name of the company um we'd like to freshen things up you know we're, we're kind of doing some strategy shifts so let's map to the new approach and everything's on the table to discuss that but at the same time you got to take it in bite-sized pieces so a couple kind of reference points first of all um a, a good a, a friend of mine is jamie barnett who's done a lot of work and been very successful and she wrote a great um, piece a few years ago that just gave you a basic playbook for branding. And even though I've got my branding playbook, I checked back in with that because I want to make sure I didn't miss anything. And I kind of cross cross check it. And one of the top, her, her top things was get a great branding partner. So one of the things I did is I went to my um, my kind of favorite 
designers and I asked for referrals and some of them were available and some were not. So the first, the first thing I did with, within the first day of working with this company is I reached out to a few and one was available. His name is Arthur Nurse. He's at Art Studio London. And he just, he's just a spectacular human being, just in touch and in tune and good, good ear for everything and eye for everything. So the first thing is pick the right partner because you're probably not going to do it in house. And as you, as you, as some of the folks on the, on the podcast probably have done, I've done everything from very low end lean branding and rebranding all the way up through multi-million dollar kind of branding exercise, global branding exercises with multiple nested brands within them. So, you know, first of all, I agree the scope and the, the approach. And then the other thing I realized is branding can drag on forever. So, so we, we'll talk about it in a moment, but I, I really tried to accelerate mm-hmm. the entire process just to get things over the line. Um, so anyway, first lesson is get the right branding partner. It does not need to be incredibly expensive, but you do get what you pay for and you want a good human being that's going to, that's going to listen and, and be inventive, but also with an eye on, on the audience. So that's the first, that's the first piece of it. Um, the second thing is we started out with, uh, as you mentioned, a brand manifesto. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't always believe in manifestos and I know some people do and some people don't, but I really felt like I did. So I captured a pretty crisp one. It was actually a very short section of text that basically had a big, bold kind of statement, but something also that was achievable. People could see the pathway toward it. Um, and so this particular company that I'm talking about is uh, in the biometric space. And so one of the things that I thought is we needed to turn a concept around kind of audio into visual. And what I mean by that is in the biometric space, as you know, you use different elements of being human to, to uh, identify yourself, right? And in this case, it was voice. So the, the, the challenge I gave to the designer was we're talking a lot about voice and audio, but how do you actually represent that with a visual? So then I went and researched um, some examples of that. And one of the ones, I'm not sure if I mentioned in the last uh, show or not, but um, I found this fantastic example where a designer had redone the Sonos logo. Now this logo mm-hmm. did not actually get implemented. It was kind of on spec, but it was a fantastic example. And basically when you scrolled up and down on that Sonos logo, it almost was like motion. It was almost like an audio kind of motion. And so I was trying to blend these, the concept of, of kind of audio and visual into the brand. And so Arthur took that and ran with it and did some great work there. But long story short, um, you know, the, kind of collapse, collapsing the time frame, um, getting immediate feedback, and then also setting boundaries where we knew we could achieve um, some substantive some work product in a very short amount of time without going way outside the boundaries and um, just, just keeping it really tight and scope mm-hmm. helped. So I'll, uh, I'll pause for a minute. Yeah. So when it comes to compressing time and really getting it out faster than maybe some projects in the past, was this the first time you've really shot for that? And were you glad that you did? Or is this something that, you know, a practice that you've implemented uh, in past projects as well? Yeah, it has been several times at several different companies. I would say I got a good taste of that at Symphony, which you mentioned. You know, was there for three years, built the global marketing team, as we've talked about before. But but there, there was a thought at one point that the company was focused on the half. And then we got focused on the quarter. And then we got focused on the month. And then I realized we really needed to do what I called two-week bursts or sprints of activity. And then in some, in some cases, uh, I, I doubled down on that. So with other companies I've worked with, it's almost like it's by the week. And, and, and a week 
can seem like forever or it can seem like no time to some teams, right? But um, I was trying to bound everything at the companies I've been working with, I'm trying to bound it by a week. Because first of all, I think at every startup, every second matters, right? At larger companies, at scale companies, you have a little bit of fluidity, you have a little bit of flexibility, you still have to be aggressive. But at a startup, the inspection is weekly, right? And you're earning your job like week by week. And so I really got in that cadence with the, the companies I've been working with. Um, and then the other thing I think is what's really critical is just not, is getting out of your head. So um, for example, I've got informal kind of review teams that I work with out inside and outside the company where I can go to someone and they provide instant feedback. We don't wait. We mm -hmm. don't wait even 24 hours for feedback. You get real-time feedback. And if you have established the relationships and cleared the paths of communication, then you know you can get instant feedback on what you're doing and you can iterate um, even, even faster. So that, I think that's really, really important. And then just the ability, even within a startup environment, to reach out to prospects and customers in real time and get real-time feedback as well. It's almost like a feed on the street, you know, Jimmy Fallon interview or something like that. It's like, like have that ability and the connectivity to reach out and just get that immediate feedback without, without delay. Mm -hmm. And that makes a, a lot of difference as well. You know, what's interesting is if, is we've worked on projects where a client will come to us and say, Hey, we are, you know, really on a deadline here. Um, so we're like really aggressive in our timeline and making sure we get things done. And then it goes to like, not necessarily the revision stage, but just like, Hey, take a look at this and let us know what you think. And it will be two weeks before we get an answer back. Right. And it's on something kind of simple. And it's like, man, I thought you were so like, gung-ho to get this thing going it's really interesting that like it must be the internal communication is the issue and it's like all of a sudden not a priority or they have too many cooks in the kitchen and uh, that's something that seems like you really mastered yeah. well i mean it's true true and i think we've a lot of us experienced that at the same time like i didn't wait for six people to comment something if i got two <laughs> yeah. comments if i got two good feedbacks that was good i'll take it let me take it and iterate and then come back to it you know don't wait for the group think to, to kick in. Right. So, and then the other thing is like, I have tremendous respect for the executive teams and the boards that I've worked with. But at one point I presented a pretty bold version of one of the logos to the board members. And they're like, we don't like it. We don't get it. This is bizarre. And I, I, I told them I point blank. I was like, well, first of all, okay, got it. And we'll take that feedback. But second of all, you're not the buyer. You're a respected part of the process folks, but I respect your feedback, but you're not who, who, who are actually aiming this at. Right. And that, yeah. that changed their mentality a little bit too. So. You know, it's funny. I always like to say, um, you're not building a website for your CEO. Your website is for your buyer and it can go along really anywhere in this process when it comes to like a full rebrand logo name. I mean, you have to consider your buyer more than like what the CEO or even some of the executives on the board are like, Oh man, is this really us? Think about the buyer more than anything. Yeah, I agree. And to that point, before, uh, let me be very clear, I had put this branding process in parallel, but in parallel, we also did a branding, a, a posi sorry, a positioning workshop. So mm -hmm. we did positioning and messaging workshop, which helped do exactly what you're talking about. And that got everyone in the mode of thinking that way and got that headset on. So then as we were lighting the fire under the branding piece, it all, it all worked together. Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, so another thing that you guys, you've been working on, whether it's with one company or a couple is um, an influencer program or programs. Um, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts. We actually just talked to someone on the podcast uh, a couple weeks ago 
about them doing an influencer program on YouTube. It was the first person that had ever talked about it on our podcast. So I'm curious to hear your direction that you went and uh, kind of your philosophy behind it. A hundred percent. So I think when we think influencers, so I think we're all, hopefully we're all fans of Dwayne, the rock Johnson, who's probably, I think right now rated as top on Instagram. And like, it used to be like, you could pay him 500,000 for a, one post or something. I think now it's north, well north of that, but um, with everything going on with him. But um, I think that's what people think about. So I think a little bit differently about it. Um, and to your point, you know, I am working with uh, with one very lean startup, fast growing startup. And I, I basically said, let's not think about what we want. Let's think about what the customer wants, which sounds so natural, but we, we, we all, it's so easy to not do that. And it's so easy to just go, go, go onto social media and be like, well, I, I like this, per- I listen to this person. So someone else might listen to this person. No. So what I did is I interviewed customers. I went out again, did feet on the street kind of concept. It was, it was very unscripted. It was, it was just very casual. I leveraged personal networking relationships in some cases and reached out to customers and said, who do you listen to? Who, who do you want to hear from? And, and who will you actually think about from a buying decision, not just from a thought leadership position, not just who do you like to listen to on the way to work, but when you're ready to go think about, evaluate and buy, who do you listen to? So I, I focused it in on that. Again, did these bursts of interviews and two things came up with this particular uh, technology. It's a compliance tech uh, in the compliance space. It's SaaS compliance software. And, and, it, and two interesting things came up. Um, big names did not come up. Some of the industry analysts, I thought, some of the, the known writers in the compliance space, some of the chief risk and compliance officers did not come up quite as much as my peers. I will go talk to my peers about this type of solution. And because it's a compliance solution, I actually listen to our law firms. Hmm. Okay. Th- these are things that probably we knew, but it, again, it extracted this out and elevated that, that point. So instead of going with a big, expensive uh, influencer in this case, and this is still in mo- the motions in motion. So for, forgive me that we don't, we don't, I don't have something to actually show you on it, but we picked several kind of peers of the peers that we knew would get some attention. And we, we were working to try and build and create uh, personal brands around them. And then we went after attorneys. Now it's interesting because some attorneys are very, kind of marketing adverse that they don't, they won't do it, but some are out there self-promoting and they'll do it. And so we talked to compliance lawyers and, and some of them are willing to work with us on that. So again, like there's no, there's no magic art or science really to it, but listening to who the kind of ideal customers and prospects would actually take advice from, from a product selection standpoint, who they would get educated from mm-hmm. and then reaching directly out to those groups. And as I say, it's kind of going smaller versus going bigger, but my feeling is that, that, that it will yield. And now we're kind of going into create mode. I, I have these modes. I, I have ideate, create, activate, iterate, and evaluate. Right. And so we're kind of in the middle of those streams right now with this one, but um, I think we're heading in the right direction and the initial thinking is good. And, and, the other thing that we sometimes don't count on is that just the process helps mm-hmm. just reaching out to the influencers and getting the name out there seeds the message a bit. And already some interesting conversations have happened and actually some, some leads, believe it or not, have come in when <laughs> we haven't done anything yet. We yeah. haven't launched anything yet. 
We've just asked for a little bit of help and advice. Mm-hmm. And guess what? That's a technique as well. So, yeah. You know, I really, I really don't see many B2B companies leveraging, at least yet. Um, it sounds so cliche, but the influencer marketing, like agenda or uh, programs, right? And I'm curious, I know you said it, your program isn't launched yet, but do you have a platform in mind? What's like the strategy behind the program itself? Do you have one yet? Yes. So, so we do, I won't go through all the details today because I know we have some other stuff we want to cover, but I'm just finding again and again, you know, for, for these audiences that I'm talking about, LinkedIn seems to be the right channel and bits of content that are not clever, that are rather clear and crisp we're finding. And we found that with this particular company, we've been testing a lot of different content types and tonalities and things like that. But we tried to be clever for a while and it just didn't yield. And so I think people are in the mode of just you know, be frank with me. Give me the information. Don't sell to me, but help me and give me what I need right now. And just be very crisp about it, please. And don't don't get too wild or clever right now. That's just it feels like that's the environment we're in. I think it was different six months ago, four months ago even. But right now, that's what we're seeing. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Um so another, th- another thing that is working for you that I actually really like this point, this was cool, um, is the idea that marketing teams should take roughly 10% of their available capacity each week and just step outside from the norm uh, to be creative and come up with innovative things. Um, why is that so critical to our growth? Yeah, I mean creativity is the lifeblood of most marketing even though we're all data driven these days there is that spark that creative spark or even just that twist of phrase or that one bit of creative that we need to come up with and some of us are doing it ourselves and some have agency partners or some have teams but at the end of the day ideas beget ideas and um I actually, I'm reminded quite a bit of Jerry Seinfeld and his creative process. And I'm not just talking about the, the series that he's done, whether it was Seinfeld or Comedians in Cars with Coffee. I'm talking about when, when Jerry Seinfeld still does stand up to this day, he goes up on stage and he writes something. And by the way, he writes every single day, every single day. He's done that for decades. He forces himself to write jokes every day and then he'll take them and test them. And he'll test them not once, not a dozen times, sometimes a hundred times. Sometimes he'll take years to test his material and get it just absolutely pitch perfect. Little nuances here, timing here, inflection here. And I love that process because ultimately the end product is is laughter, right? Like it's the most natural human, most best thing on earth. But to get there, there's a very scientific method that he's applied to that. And he also loves it. It's not grueling for him. He's been interviewed about that. He's like, he's like, I love this whole process, but it is a discipline and it is a process. I'm just reminded of that. So what I'm saying is marketing needs that, cre- that creative spark, but there also needs to be a disciplined process around it. And while we can't always know where the spark is going to come from, a lot of, I get, I take hikes up behind my house. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, all of a sudden, like, I'm like on my phone, not because I'm ignoring nature, but like the great idea just hit. I don't want to lose it. Right. And I think we talked about that last time, but, but if I give my, the teams I'm working with permission mm-hmm. to just step out of the grind, even for a small portion of time within their time frame, because different people are different, right? Some, some morning, midday, afternoon brainstorms come. I want them to just be available for the create creativity. Right. And sometimes 
I ask them, sometimes I give them assignments. I'm like, let's just write something. Let's just, just write something, right? Mm-hmm. Or just produce something. And in other times it's like, um, just think, just be quiet for a moment, be still. Or it's, hey, go, go, go to a concert, go, go, go out, go out somewhere, go to a museum, go get some inspiration, right? There's different assignments for different people, but ultimately the goal is like, how do you feed that creativity when we're all in such an absolute grind um, day to day? So you got to yeah. create the space and permission, give them permission. Mm-hmm. And uh, you think 10% is a pretty good way to do that? Roughly? I know we're just kind of being granular here, but. Yeah, it varies. And I would say it can't always be that even, but it, it, I think that's a good, that's a good goal. I mean, maybe it's 5% for some, and in some cases, you know, maybe for your design team, maybe it's 15 Mm-hmm. or 20% or something because they've got to have time to really work on stuff, right? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe for some of your writers, it's more. But I would say that that's just what I'd like to see mm-hmm. if I can. What's not interesting. always possible. <laughs> so it's not only for us, it's also for our teams is what you're saying. So as a leader, that's something you need to actually physically implement and say, hey, this is something you need to do week to week is take that time. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Have you, so off the top of your head, by giving the liberty to your team to have these off the wall ideas, have you seen some pretty creative things come as like the fruit of them actually taking that time? Yep. So, so I have, um, and again, I, I wish I could give you the, the, the spot answer. A lot of stuff never gets activated. It's just, it's kind of fun. Um, but I did, um, like at symphony, I did have a goal of, let's say we take one awesome idea and attempt, you know, attempt to activate it. So, Again, not all, all those things went into market, um, but again, it generated other ideas that played into some of the campaigns that we were working on. So mm-hmm. I would say the raw, the raw output might not always be useful, but the impact on everything else you're doing is incredibly useful. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, you might get a lightning strike out of it for sure. But um, yeah. You know, I don't remember if it was you that I talked to last time on the show about this, if it was someone else, but they, they, they had the concept to like, let their team dream as big as possible in a brainstorming session, like the most crazy ideas, right? Whether it means just like getting Dwayne Johnson on an influencer program, that would be like the crazy idea. And then they think about the big idea and then they chip away and they're like, okay, obviously like we don't have 500,000 plus dollars to do like one shout out on Instagram from Dwayne Johnson, but like, that's a good idea. Where do we actually feel? And they start to chip it down to what's actually um, feasible and something they can bite off. And it sounds like you're kind of like saying the exact same thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We call it, we call it, I used to call it a moonshot, right? You, I, I always ask what's the moonshot. Like if you could just blast out of the, out of the, the, the atmosphere and get there, what would that be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that philosophy for sure. Um, cool. So the last thing that, uh, you know, it's been working for you is creating internal evangelists. Um, obviously, it's really important to give your team a voice, whether it's on LinkedIn, TikTok, whatever it may be. Um, what are some ways that you've done that? Yeah, great question. Um, and I, I love that topic. So um, basically, one, one of the, there's been a couple different ways I've done it. But one of the ways I've done it most recently was develop basically a group that I labeled storytellers. And it's a little bit bold, I guess, and others do it. I mean, like, you know, Microsoft, I think has its story labs project or whatever, like different companies do it different ways. But to me, the storytellers was an agile process. 
And basically I recruited, I think it was between 10 and 12, and they probably ended up being about 12 humans, um, mostly within the organization, sometimes a few outside the organization, and just basically set them with an objective to publish so much content per month, per quarter, whatever. And I was really attempting to even tie it to their, well, we used OKRs, but um, some companies use MBOs, KPIs, outcomes, et cetera. So tie it to their performance. And they might not even know what they're signing up for completely. But anyway, you work, we work with them to educate them on that. And basically then you pick subject matter experts typically that have something to say. They might not be great writers. You help them with that. You help shape it. You take the raw stuff and edit it for them, chop, chop it up. Um, they might not be social media experts. They might not know, you know how to SEO the heck out of a piece of content. That's okay. That's the marketing team's job. But you get that raw content on a regular basis and you tie it into your content planning and structure and you thread it in there. And basically then you try and build these kind of micro brands, if you will, around those subject matter experts. But then it's got to fold into and tie into the corporate brand. Not 100% because some of these folks might have a provocative view. They might have counterpoint view. They, they might have, have a very deep technical view, right? So it's not the complete voice of the company, but these many voices become kind of one. Um, and, and, and everyone has something to say. And I think, again, it, it forces some creativity. Sometimes you're, you're dealing with a solution architect or a sales engineer or a product manager who might very much think in a technical way and it pulls them out of that world and allows them to articulate, right? It's good for them. It's good for mm -hmm. their career. It's good for their upward mobility within an organization. It gets them visibility. But also, again, it's content. And it's content that in many cases, I'm not going to say it's free because there's always a cost to, you know, edit it and post it and stuff like that. But um, basically you, you just, you know, completely upsized your, your content team. Mm -hmm. um, and if you get in the cadence and the, and it's sloppy and it's messy and it's chaotic at first, frankly, but then once you get the engine going, it's very natural. People look forward to it and people actually want to see what the, the outcomes are of their content being posted. They want the likes, the shares, the comments, and they get used to that. And then all of a sudden it, it's a good thing. So, you know, long story short, there's many ways to do it. I know others that are doing it too. That's just the way that I've done it. And again, it's not, it's not always neat and tidy, but you just do, you just do it. Mm -hmm. you, you make people write something once a week or once every two weeks or ever you post it and make it look good. And all of a sudden interesting things happen. Yeah. I mean, we, we had one, of our storytellers that started posting and she didn't know what to quite expect. She had a good following on LinkedIn, but she didn't know what to expect. And all of a sudden, like she got so much engagement just on her <laughs> posts. It just it helped, it helped the business because like people were coming out of the woodwork to connect with us, but it, it just lightened her life. Like it was awesome. Yeah. And it's interesting because one potential buyer or audience member would might resonate with, you know, that storyteller more than let's say if you were to go post something that was on your profile. And it's interesting because everyone has their own voice and their own inflections and their own style and different people will resonate with different um, subject matter experts. So it's just broadening your horizons uh, and giving you more exposure than really just one person talking. hundred percent. A hundred percent. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So at this point in the podcast episode, we didn't do this on our last one, but we've been asking a new question um, just to kind of get the, uh, the creative juices flowing for people that are doing websites. 
So when it comes to your website strategy, I know you've been working with a few different companies. Um, what's something that you've recently tried and did it work or did it not work? Uh, I think we all have enough, uh, lessons to learn from the, what we'll call the failures. And I, I think on the last session, I talked with you about kind of the fast fail, fast fix. A lot of people talk about fast fail. I, I think it's, it's kind of negative. And so one of the CEOs I worked with, we talked about, let's, let's evolve that to be a fast fix versus just a fast fail, right? But one of the things that I, I thought about a lot and I, I trusted my, my digital marketing expert that I was working with, um, I said, what if we turn the website into kind of like a daily kind of content push and did something just dramatically different on the homepage every day? Like, what if we just tried that? Like, what if it almost became like a social media channel versus just a static product website? And so we really thought about that. We debated it. And the, the woman I was working with, awesome digital marketer, Demandian, long history of great Demandian and growth marketing really dug into it and said, you know what it does. If you do that, it just doesn't, the algos don't like that. It erodes your authority. It doesn't give things time to catch up. You, the SEO is not great on that, not for a B2B website like this one. Um, and so that's one of the, one of these brainstorms where like, I think I had that idea like at nine o'clock at night, I bounced it via Slack over this individual was, three hours earlier, mm -hmm. took the time to really research and think it. And the next morning we had a very productive conversation. Let's talk about collapsing time. It was like, interesting hypothesis. Yeah. Let's do the research. No way in heck are we going <laughs> to do that. It's not going to work for us, yeah. but it would be great and brilliant if we could find a way to make it work, but not, not going to happen at the moment. Yeah. And you know what? I love hearing about the things that don't pan out or that don't work or really don't even make it to the website um, almost as much or even equally as much as like, Hey, here's some things that we did that worked. I think those are some of the best learnings that you can have. Um, cool. That's awesome. So the next question is, you know, if, if before you're ever interviewed on a podcast, um, what's a question that you wish someone would ask you on a podcast that you've just never been asked as a CMO? Yeah. Yeah. I like that one. Um, I'll tell you, it's outside the bounds of what we've been talking about. I, I like it when people talk about giving back. Um, we all have to give back, especially right now. It seems like it's more important than ever. And during COVID, a lot of folks tried their hardest to help their fellow humans. And this is in the business world and in the personal world as well. So I would say the question I would like to say is, I like someone to ask is, is how do you give back? And, and I guess not for me to, to brag about it, but it's more like to inspire others to, to try and do the same. You know, there's a story about Mark Benioff. Do you remember that story where he basically, fun, you know, basically funded, with a, a few others, funded one of the big hospitals in the Bay Area in San Francisco? Mm -hmm. and, and he said, I don't want my name on this thing because I, I don't want to brag. And someone else said, no, no, it's not about that. It's about that you want to inspire others to do that same thing, right? So it's like, use your, your power for good. So I would say that that's a good question. How do you give back is a good one. That's one. Um, and then kind of what what inspires you right now? Because I think we all need inspiration. We all need that fresh jolt of inspiration. And so uh, those are two, I think those are two good questions. Now you're that's awesome. To answer. Yeah, no, I, I think that's perfect, man. Um, I have never had anybody say that one before. So that's really cool. Um, all right. So to close this out, we have a few more minutes here. If you want to shoot any questions over my way to close this thing out, uh, the mic is all yours. 
All right. Well, we could probably generate a whole nother discussion around this, but I, I was having a conversation with a CEO late last night, actually, at one of the companies I'm working with. And we both thought a lot about it because, because marketing feels hard, but then a lot of things feel hard. Recruiting feels hard. Sales feels hard. And the CEO said, look, I've been through lots of cycles. Things just get harder and harder in some ways. And so I backed off that and I thought about it and I processed and I thought, it seems like for a lot of startups right now, the barrier to entry for a technology startup is lower than ever. The technology is there. You can ramp faster. You can mm -hmm. recruit virtual teams, fractional teams. Like the, the barrier to entry is lower, but the bar is much higher to achieve growth. And so to me, that's a little bit of a cognitive dissonance. And I know it's a complex question. Something to think about. That's what I'd ask you is how do we rationalize that there are more entrepreneurs and founders trying to do good stuff, but yet the bar for that successful scale and growth is as high as it's ever been. It's just something to think about. How do we mm -hmm. get there? That's the first one. And then the second question I would just ask is what, what's inspiring you right now? Maybe that's an easier one, right? Let's, let's focus on that. What, what's inspiring to you right now? Mm, what is inspiring to me? Um, really the innovation within some companies when it comes to SaaS companies, B2B SaaS, and seeing what they're doing inspires me. So for example, I think it's incredible that Gong does a Super Bowl commercial, right? And it's like the outside the box thinking of that is pretty incredible. I think that's super awesome that they are able to do that. Obviously, not many companies have the resources to just go out and uh, spend the millions of dollars that it takes to produce and even get a slot on a Super Bowl commercial, but they, that's incredible. Um, another thing that they did that, I, honestly, I think it's really just based around what Gong does at the moment, but they, uh, they had their logo on the court for when Stephen Curry hit like a milestone number of three-point shots. Can't remember how many it was. And by some fluke, their logo was right in the picture that like all of these major magazines and news organizations picked up. I thought that was so cool just the, to have that thought to even put their logo on the court. Like you don't see many B2B SaaS companies doing that. Um, this isn't B2B SaaS, but I always enjoy um, seeing what Refine Labs is doing when it comes to demand generation and really the community and the audience that they've built. I think that, that is really inspiring. So I think my best way to get inspiration is just to see what some of these companies that are doing a really good job. And again, Gong has some areas that I don't really agree with that. I'm just like, man, I feel like they could to do that. I feel like they could do so much better. Right. And even with refine labs, I'm sure there are some areas like that and other brands that inspire me, but like I can pick one or two things and be like, wow, that's, that's cool. I wonder how there's something here that I could implement as well. Cool. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So that's one, not, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. What uh, yeah, one thing you reminded me of something. So I do look outside as we talked about last time outside, just the bounds of B2B and one, one, one that caught me, Got, got me a, just a little little teary-eyed teary was uh, there was an ad for pet insurance. And I think it was on Instagram, if I'm not mistaken. It was just little reels on Instagram of how pet owners were able to basically save their pet lives mm -hmm. through, through pet insurance when they probably wouldn't have been able to necessarily financially do that uh, before the pet insurance. And who knows where the, the, the reality and the story is, but it's done in a very... Um, just kind of unproduced way and it just caught my eye i'm like oh that just that that just caught my attention like that yeah. got my attention so yeah 
Well, that's awesome, man. Um, it is fun to look outside the B2B world as well. But Andrew, I just want to say thank you for joining us, uh, joining me here on you know the reunion tour, having you back for round two. Um, so thanks, man. This was a cool episode to be able to run through, just seeing what's working now. And uh, maybe we'll have you back for round three down the road if we end up doing that. Always happy to do that. We'll do the, the diamond or platinum tour. As <laughs> 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 right, man, thank you for the, the time. I appreciate it.